0: Oh, good morning. If you could, uh, leave your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 15. Uh, these are God's words. It's important that you, uh, that we make sure what I'm saying about them is true. Let me, uh, pray that God helps us. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your glorious son and your plan to redeem your people out of this world. Uh, please help us again this morning to be moved uh, to pray for the right things uh, and to align ourselves with your priorities in this world. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How is your uh, sight or vision? A few years ago for the first time I needed glasses uh, to read and I found it frustrating and had a new sympathy uh, for people who have constantly needed to wear glasses. For all of us, though, with age, our physical sight will diminish. Uh, But this passage causes us to think about the fact that there are different types of seeing. Uh, For those who don't know, our girls are both profoundly deaf in the left ear, uh, our adopted girls, and it's suspected to be an inutrovirus that damaged the acoustic nerve, coincidentally, in both their biological mothers. So recently... They had to have an MRI to see if there's something physically that might get worse over time or affect their good ear. An MRI is a type of sight, magnetic resonance imaging. It reveals the inner anatomy of the human body without physically seeing it with our eyes by doing surgery. Uh, To look at the human brain with your eyes, you would have to kill the person first, which... uh, defeats the purpose. (laughs) But MRI allows a doctor to see certain aspects of the brain or ear in 3D. Also, our physical eyes don't work in the dark. We can't see without visible light. If you want to see in the dark, you need infrared vision. The ability to see heat, which for science-minded people is different frequency range of light energy physical sight with our eyes is only one form of sight or vision there's a lot about this world we cannot see and this applies to our spiritual vision what Paul prays in this prayer is that we would see the great, greater realities of the universe and God's big plan And God as Father, Son and Spirit. See, we can never see these things without being given spiritual sight. Or in the words of Paul here, we need the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. It needs to be revealed to us. And this prayer of Paul, verses 15 to 23, is part of the typical opening structure of a letter in the ancient world. It starts off with the writer, then a blessing, then the recipients, and then a prayer for the recipients reflecting their circumstances or situation. And the previous verses concern God's sovereign purposes, God's big plan. The Ephesians needed for some reason to see God's big plan for them, for the world. And Paul explained to his readers in the first part of this chapter how blessed they were because God in his sovereign and free mercy called these people to himself. And the book of Ephesians will focus on God's sovereign purposes To bring all things under the rule of his son. That's God's big plan. To bring everything including humanity back under the rule of Jesus. And we are blessed because we've been caught up in that plan. And adopted to sonship, to full access into God's family. And this glorious plan is fundamentally revealed to us. Uh, through the Lord Jesus. So verses 15 to 16, we see that Paul is thankful for God's work of grace in the lives of these people. And Paul knew their faith was genuine because he not only heard about it, but he also heard about how it had changed them to have a love for all the saints. See, if someone has been converted, there will be evidence of that fact in their life they will not be the same person. And when we see this, we are thankful to God because it's God's work. That's what God does. He achieves such outcomes. Genuine believers here will love in the sense of doing good for others, not just themselves. See, love in the context of the New Testament is action, not sentimental feeling. It's a visible change in the orientation of a person's life. And it is brought about by God's sovereign grace or kindness. That's why when we hear of others being genuinely transformed by the gospel, we don't go and congratulate them on making such a good decision. We bow in thankfulness to God for his great mercy to them. See, they have been swept up into his glorious inheritance and there's evidence of that in the orientation of their life. So God has opened the eyes of these people, enabling them to respond to him and Paul is profoundly grateful. In fact, he is unceasingly grateful. And we can see that Paul is excited about God's grace, isn't he? May God give us that same passion to see and recognise the powerful operation of his grace and to be grateful and prayerful without ceasing, without quitting. Some people worry here that this means we should be praying non-stop. But the idea here is more expressed by the English word constantly or regularly. See, Paul doesn't pray for someone once and then forget about them. He prays for them unceasingly. Then verses 17 to 19, Paul prays that these people might grow in this grace of God. First phrase here is, I keep asking. And of course, this always raises the question, if God is sovereign, he has a plan to save his people why bother to keep asking for anything? <laughs> because he's already going to do it. It's already going to happen anyway. And the best way to deal with that is by that example that we read in Exodus. Here, God wanted to destroy Israel after they built a golden calf when Moses was up on Mount Sinai. And Moses and God said to Moses, I'm going to destroy these people and make you into a great nation but Moses responded by pleading with God not to do it because this would cause the Egyptians to laugh at God and God would have to back down from his original promises to Abraham Isaac and Jacob the question is would God have destroyed Israel in spite of his promises to Abraham Obviously, there's a lot of mystery involved with this, but the best way to understand this is to see that Moses' prayer as a priestly figure was God's appointed way of causing him not to destroy Israel. In other words, the prayers of God's people are effective in bringing about the sovereign purposes of God. They're part of the means God uses to bring about his purposes. So it's tragic not to pray, isn't it? It's tragic to just not ask God to act in our circumstances and lives for those around us. We also need to notice who Paul is praying to. This is not just some vague God who is out there somewhere. He's praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. See, God is a very uncertain or vague term today, isn't it? Apparently 60% of Australians believe in God, but 60% of Australians don't believe in the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. He's not referring to some vague God, he's referring to the glorious personal God who has revealed himself in the man Jesus of Nazareth. All God's blessings come to us through Jesus, which is why gods of all the different religions aren't the same. The true living God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and it's only through him that God can be truly known. In our highly psychologi- psychologized times, We need to remember that glorious father doesn't mean a teddy bear to comfort us at night. It means majestic, sovereign king who will bring justice to the nations as he gathers his family to himself. I've been praying through the Psalms this year again and Psalm 9 puts it this way. It's another prayer of David. It says, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. And what does Paul ask of this God? That his readers know him better. And the way they will do that is by the Holy Spirit giving them wisdom and revelation. And when it says revelation, it does not mean new truth uh, that no one else has. You're not going to be someone that God gives truth to that Paul didn't know about, that John the Apostle didn't know. It means the ability to understand more and more about the things of God fully revealed in Jesus. See, God's not revealing more now because... He has fully revealed himself in Jesus. But we personally need to grasp more and more of that revelation. You need to know Jesus more and assimilate that knowledge into your life. So we should be praying for each other that the Holy Spirit might illuminate the things of God to us. And verses 18 to 19, Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened. In other words, Paul wants them to be able to receive or see what the Spirit reveals to them. And there are certain crucial truths that he prays they may be intimately acquainted with. The first one is the hope to which he has called you. There's different perceptions, isn't there, of whether our country now is still a hopeful place, of whether people have hope or whether they're more starting to despair, which is the opposite of hope. But the hope to which he has called us is a reference to the ultimate goal of our salvation, the bigger picture of what God has achieved in Christ. See, what we have here, no matter how good our life is going, It's plagued with futility, sin, and death. The opposite of that is despair. It's it's like saying the future is bleak. But in Christ, the future is not bleak because the future is a world ruled by God's glorious Son, which even now He is at work establishing. And he wants us to be swept up into that, to understand that priority. See, we need to grasp that to put the circumstances of our life in proper perspective. I don't know whether this offends you, but God's not primarily interested in your happiness. He's interested in your holiness, in your knowledge of Jesus. Jesus. He wants us to see his priorities so that we can shape our priorities to align with his. And the next thing Paul prays for is that they might know the riches of his inglorious inheritance among the saints. This is a prayer that God's people might understand how significant they are to him. As God's people, we are extremely important to him. We are precious in his sight. The blood of Jesus was spilled for his people. It goes without saying this is not because we're worthy, because we're really lovable people, but because we are in Christ. We need to understand our value according to God's estimation of things not the world's. And again, we need to make sure we don't interpret this in modern psychological terms. Jesus didn't die for your self-esteem. He died for the forgiveness of our sins to display in us the riches of his grace. And the third component of Paul's prayer here is that they might grasp how incomparably great is God's power for those who believe, verse 19. See, what Paul has in mind here is the power to transform sinful human beings into holy people and to understand the depths, depths of Christ's love, to, to learn to value his glory more than our own life. And that needs great power, because it won't happen with humanity left to themselves. See, Paul wants to understand us to understand that we have immense power available to us to live as his people and bear witness to him. We need to pray that we might know that power. And this is not a power that can be measured, measured by our measurements. Uh, We can measure energy in this world in many ways. We measure electricity by kilowatts or megawatts. But how do you measure God's power in being able to raise the dead? We don't have scales or units to measure that. But we can pray for it. But we are encouraged here to tap into that immeasurable power to not live any longer as our former slaves are to sin. And for the second half of verses 19 to verse 23, Paul describes that power as it is manifest in and through the Lord Jesus. The power available to believers is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Our whole hope is bound up with that fact, isn't it? Christ's resurrection proved that he dealt with sin and defeated death, proved that there is a hopeful future and glorious future ruled by Jesus. We now look forward to a resurrected body because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. By God's power, Jesus was seated at the right hand of God, far above every other rule and authority. Or to put this simply, Jesus is the boss of everything. All the institutions of man, the spiritual forces, the outer reaches of the universe... All the forces of nature come under the sovereign rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one drop of rain falls to this earth apart from the sovereign rule of Jesus. And what we see in verses 22 to 23 is that Jesus exercises this power and authority for the benefit of the people of God. To most Australians, the church is a relic of the past, an insignificant institution, a haven of bigotry, whatever other language is used. But look at what it is here. It is the central focus of Jesus' sovereign authority. Later in Ephesians, we'll see how this relates to God's purposes To form a new humanity under the rule of his son. And that all that divides us pales into insignificance in the light of the rule of Jesus. See, we need to pray for the transforming power of the gospel to be grasped, don't we? With much greater insight. And that this grace and power will spill over from the church into society generally and I'm sure if you think about your life you would know that against some forms of problem or difficulty we are powerless to do anything to fix it we just can't fix it when you get older you realize that more and more I just can't fix this The resurrection is the display of God's power to establish a renewed creation. And the church is a visible manifestation and foretaste of this renewed creation. And we we need to grasp that. This is not a waste of time. This is a small part of God's big plan to gather his people and unite them under Jesus. So don't underestimate church because it is the manifestation of the rule of God's gracious son. This is fundamental to what he's doing. He's gathering God's people. And this will... It tells us here will be filled up ultimately in the renewed creation when Jesus fills everything. So understanding this prayer as something of Paul's priority in prayer helps correct a few contemporary issues and priorities. It helps us to know what to pray for. See, God's not a sympathetic ear who wants to help us but doesn't have the power to act. Nor is he an impersonal power that can act but doesn't particularly care. God is sovereign and can act in total freedom. He's not constrained by external forces. He does what pleases him. Also, God is a personal God who listens to the prayers of his people... And answers them as a means of achieving his purposes, which he has revealed to us through his son. When we understand these things, we can see how tragic it is when we don't ask, when we don't pray. Or when we pray in light of our trivial concerns and inconveniences, not God's big plan to bring everything under the rule of Jesus. This is partly why there are so many conferences and technique-based approaches to being a believer. And no doubt they are of some value, but what we really need, according to Paul here, is to see with greater clarity. See, the people who are most enthusiastic about evangelism aren't the most theologically trained people but people who see the glory of Jesus with greater focus. The people who are the most urgent in prayer aren't those who've learnt the latest faddish technique, but the ones who have a bigger grasp of the desperate need of this world and what God has done in Jesus to save it. Because when we understand the weight of those things, what else will we do? And there's an important assumption here, fundamental to the gospel. And that is that what changes people is not rules or techniques, but seeing the glory of Jesus and feeling the weight of his glory in our soul. See, what Paul is talking about here is transforming revelation or knowledge. It's a personal experiential grasp of who Jesus is and what God has done for us through him and God's big plan to bring everything under his rule. So if you're feeling apathetic or you're seeing people you know and love straying What we need isn't to follow ten rules of successful people. What we need is to see with clarity and in an unfiltered way God's glorious Son. And what motivates us to continue strongly isn't the fruit of our labours in ten or twenty years, but the riches of a glorious inheritance in the Lord Jesus and his power to act now to redeem his people. And this is where prosperity theology is so offensive. Often comfort and health work against people seeing the glory of Jesus and our true need. Paul's use of the expression, riches of our glorious inheritance, is much bigger than our material well-being. We've been ruined by our sin. Jesus redeems us and gives us a place as sons, as co-heirs with himself. Prosperity theology says God wants you to have a couple more hundred dollars. True theology says God wants you to know the glorious riches of your inheritance in Jesus And the power of his rule for the ultimate benefit of his people. They're not comparable things. So in an ironic way, prosperity theology really should be called impoverishment theology because it wants you to have more of what is vain and temporary, not what is eternal and glorious. It wants to deceive us out of our true inheritance. So if Aunt Audrey rings you up and says, I really need prayer for my ingrown toenail to be healed so that my life can be really comfortable again, how should we pray in view of this prayer of Paul? Well, Auntie Audrey's ingrown toenail might be a problem But a bit further down the track, she's going to die of a heart attack. What she really needs is for her ingrown toenail to remind her that God has a glorious inheritance for those who have faith in his son. So while Auntie Audrey's ingrown toenail would nice to be healed... Isn't it far more important that she sees the sheer majesty and glory of what God has done in Jesus? And wouldn't it be better to pray that her ingrown toenail might be an occasion on which to grasp something of the splendour of God's Son who has triumphed over sin and death and that she might be filled with a greater sense of his immeasurable love in light of her far deeper needs. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the well-known apologist from last century, said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. See, we need much better vision. Much better sight. The song Amazing Grace captures some of this well. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And what people sometimes miss is John Newton goes on to say, we need to persevere in Jesus. See, we don't see once and then move on to something else. We need to grow in our seeing. We don't start with Jesus, then advance to prayer techniques and conferences and pop psychology. We start with Jesus, we continue with Jesus, and we'll be in eternity because of Jesus. What we saw at our conversion We need to continue to see, but with greater clarity. It never ceases to amaze me how easily people can be dislodged from this. So if you're at a loose end with your Bible reading, maybe write this prayer out, read it every morning for a week or two, and meditate on aspects of it. Think about your life and connect your life with this prayer. And may God help us see what we really need. May God improve our vision. And if, if, if that's helpful, then look through all of Paul's prayers and you'll see God's priorities for what we need reflected through those prayers. Let me um pray for us now. Uh, Father in heaven, as uh, we will see in the next part of this book of Ephesians, we acknowledge our true and deepest needs, relate uh, to our former status as people outside of Christ, who were once your enemies, children of wrath, standing in filth and shame. Uh, But you made us alive in your son. Help us now pursue you and your purposes in a way that is fitting uh, to this gracious transformation, to not be deceived by the trivial and false, but to know Jesus in a greater way. We pray that we won't be lulled to sleep by the comfort we enjoy, but see the true nature of things with sharper focus. And even now, as we think about the things in our life, that are out of our control and beyond our power, we look to your sovereign and immeasurable power to act. We think of those in whom there is not yet spiritual life. We think of the darkening social, spiritual nature of our culture. And we pray that the resurrection power of Jesus might be evident uh, in and among your people to be holy and to bear witness to him. Uh, Please help us to see clearly in Jesus' name. Amen.